0: All right, good evening everyone. Um we're in the middle
1: of lesson 7, I believe, right? My lessons are I renumbered them as I've kind of moved this around. Yeah, uh the story of Pentecost is where we left off, bottom of page 48. So we are are moving into the top of page 49. And we're looking at kind of how does all of this work, right? Um so we're, we're talking in this lesson, we, we started talking last week about the work of the Holy Spirit, and the word that the Bible ties to the work of the Holy Spirit is this word sanctification. The word sanctification is a word that means to, to declare or to make holy, to set something apart for a specific use. And so um, here it is, the work of the Holy Spirit is to call us, to set us apart for God's use. And to do that, this is the call to faith, uh, to connect us to Jesus through faith in him. So how does this happen, right? A little bit of a diagram there on the top of page 49. First things first, we need to understand that this is what we are being connected to. This is the object of our faith. It is Jesus Christ. And the work of his life, his death, his resurrection. Okay, so Jesus' death on the cross paid the debt for all my sin. This is the historical fact. This is the, um, like I said, the object of my faith. That is the done deal. Um, The Holy Spirit takes the message of this, um, this finished, completed work in Jesus Christ, and he, he carries it to people. Um, He does this in a number of ways. It comes through this message of what you and I and the Bible calls the gospel. The word gospel is a word that literally means good news. It's through the message of this good news that the Holy Spirit works. Um, This message is shared as it is preached, um, as it is uh, uh, spoken, as it is conversed between Christians, uh, from a pastor to a congregation. Uh, in a class like this, in a sermon on Sunday morning, um, the message of the gospel is proclaimed and the Holy Spirit brings the uh, the good news of that forgiveness that Jesus has won to individual uh, ears and hearts and souls. Um, we're going to learn this in an upcoming lesson. This message is also uh, attached to earthly means. Um, to physical means, uh, water in Holy Communion, bread and water, water in baptism, and bread and wine in Holy Communion. And we're going to study those sacraments um, in some upcoming lessons. So the Holy Spirit brings the message of that forgiveness that Jesus won for you and me on the cross and through the empty tomb. He brings that message of the gospel to us through the word and through the sacraments. Finally, then the Holy Spirit uses the gospel message to bring me to faith. Um, It works that faith in my heart. It inspires that trust um, in my life. And and we talked about this in our Wednesday night class last night, but this is sort of the way that it works uh, just between people too, right? If I go up to a stranger and I say, hey, trust me, that probably is not going to work, right? Right? Um, But if I look at my kids, if I look at my wife, if I look at my congregation and I say, hey, trust me, um, it's it's hopefully something that they are able to do because of I've given them reason to do that, to trust me, to believe me, um, to know that what I'm sharing with them, the comfort, the encouragement that I'm giving to them is reason for them to trust me. Trust is not something you do, right? Trust is something that another individual inspires in you, right? Uh, one of the other examples we talked about is sort of like falling in love, right? You, you can't just tell yourself, convince yourself, um, I'm gonna love this other person. It's something that needs to be inspired in you by the individual. And so, this is what God does in you. This is what God does for you through the message of the gospel. Through this announcement of His forgiveness, His love, His grace that He has for you, it inspires in you, it convinces you, it carries you into the position of trusting, believing, loving Him. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. It is his love that motivates, that inspires, that invites, that encourages um, us to believe in him, to love him, to trust in him, to have faith in him. So that even faith is not something that you or I do, it's not a good work that we muster up inside of ourselves. It's something that God does and accomplishes in us through the work of his Holy Spirit by this message of the gospel.
0: So that even faith is not your doing or mine. Even faith is God's
1: gift. It is that which he inspires in us. So that when we talk about a passage that is kind of the theme passage of this class on the front of your binder, um, if you've got one, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, it is by grace we have been saved from beginning to end. Um, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, including the work of your own believing, right? even that is grace, even that is gift, even that is God's doing. Um, So that from beginning to end, your salvation, the assurance of your salvation is not dependent on your good works, is not dependent on your ability to believe, is not dependent on the strength of your faith, is entirely dependent on God's work for you, in you, through you, that is where your assurance comes from. Okay, <clears throat> um, so I, I think this is kind of a helpful timeline, so to speak. How does this faith, this salvation, how does someone go from being an unbeliever to a believer, um, living in the darkness, apart from Christ, being brought into the light of the Sun. Of God. Um, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you through that. Okay. Um, and some passages there below that that kind of help that. Second Thessalonians, we, we already looked at verse 13 at the beginning, right? When we were looking at what is the work of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 2, verse 13 and 14 says, From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Okay, how does that happen? Here's where verse 14, we left that one off. We're getting to it now. He called you to this. This would be belief, right? That's that's kind of the preceding noun that it's referencing. How do I become a believer? How do I get this faith? He, the Holy Spirit, called you to this through our gospel paul says we preach the message we simply preach to you this forgiveness of sins the love of god in christ jesus and the holy spirit worked through that message and he called you to this belief to this faith that you might share in the glory of our lord jesus christ right um so this is why i'm constantly talking about how easy it is to share our faith and i know it's a scary thing and it's an intimidating thing and it's a terrifying thing but it's not a difficult thing it's not a hard thing um paul says we preach the message that god gave to us that he recorded for us here in his word well, here's job who does that he called you to this through our gospel um Another passage, Romans 10, verse 17, kind of of says it all. How does this faith happen? Faith comes from hearing the message. And what message is that? Well, it's the message that is heard through the word of Christ. Um, It is that message of Jesus Christ, sins forgiven, salvation won. It is finished. It is that message that works in us, that inspires in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, faith. Right? Um, finally, acts chapter two, verse thirty eight. um this is we looked at this uh, 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 last week in the the lesson on Pentecost. This is kind of the the conclusion of Peter's sermon. Peter says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that gift is not just the holy spirit that gift of the holy spirit also means all of the things the holy spirit brings
0: and does and accomplishes in you most notably faith itself right um this is this
1: this is the work um to be saved uh, above through the sanctifying
0: work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. That is the gift the Holy Spirit comes to bring. Okay. Um, so that's
1: kind of the timeline. That's kind of how the Bible breaks it down, right? This is how people become believers. Nothing about a, a decision, nothing about choosing Christ as your personal Lord and Savior um you know nothing about praying a certain prayer or inviting jesus into your life the holy spirit does this in you the holy spirit does this for you he brings you from death to life from darkness to light from unbelief to faith and he does it through this message of the gospel right um and so this is why you know i i talk to people who kind of go through this class and especially if they're they're people who come to this class who are complete hardened unbelievers and i ask them okay at what moment did you become a believer? And the answer is, I don't know. But it happens sometime between when I first started and now, because I know I believe in Jesus. And this is just kind of that sort of like the way, in the Bible uses this picture, right? It's the way that a plant grows, right? You don't see all of the, the working that is going on underneath the soil. Before you know it, there's a plant. How did that happen? Well, a lot was happening beneath the surface before that that, uh, that plant became visible, before the fruit um, started becoming visible, right? Um, but, but it wasn't just this kind of overnight thing. You plant the seed, you water it, you give it sunlight, and it grows,
0: right? This is the work of the spirit. Um, any thoughts or questions on that section?
2: And I want to you not went the church and um, baptized and Whether mm-hmm. it's no um at some point we Absolutely
0: Absolutely Um, and, 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 and my point would be, um, we're going to
1: get to it on, on the next page. Um, my point is simply,
0: it isn't my acknowledgement of that faith that then makes me a believer. What I'm saying is there has to be faith already there for you to
1: even make that confession. So it's sort of like what happens first? Do I do I say something? Do I invite Jesus into my heart? Do I uh, announce some sort of decision and then I become a believer? No, I would say you can't even say those words. You can't even even um, invite Jesus into your heart. You can't even have that desire unless you already have faith. Right. and so the passage that we'll we'll get to on the next page, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says it this way, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord, guess what? You are already a believer, right? Um, confession is an important part. This is why we still, every Sunday, we confess the Christian creeds and have been for thousands of years is because to confess that faith is important. But it isn't like, okay, now that I'm confessing, I'm giving God the green light to enter into my life. No, you can't give that green light apart from you already being a believer, right? So it's the Holy Spirit taking up residency in your heart that even allows you. You, you think of the, the Psalm, um, um, is it Psalm 51? The one that we, we open um, the, the morning praise, the Matin service with. Um, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I'm such a dirty, rotten scoundrel that I can't even muster up the strength to sing your praise, Lord. It's like like our puppy that we have right now. She's in that phase where every five seconds, she's got something in her mouth that doesn't belong in her mouth. And what do I have to do? I can't just say, drop it. I literally have to grab her by the mouth, pry her mouth open and rip it out. And that's the picture that we have. It's like, Lord, you have to pry my mouth open just so that I can sing your praise because on my own, by my very nature, I want nothing to do with you. So if I get to the point of saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, guess what? The Holy Spirit has already done his work underneath the
0: surface, behind the scenes, in my heart. I was a Christian before I ever could speak those words. Right?
2: Yeah, I'm I was Christian
0: I Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I
1: would say um you know for the person who says um I don't really know when I became a Christian um um, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing, but I would say probably in the majority of those cases, um, like for me, I, I can never remember a moment, a moment in my life when I was not a Christian. Um, I was baptized the day after I was born. And so when people say, well, when were you saved? And I would say, well, January 19th, 1983. And they would say, oh, is that the moment that you invited Jesus into your life? And I would say, well, I was a day old. So probably not. Um, But that was the moment that the Holy Spirit ripped my heart open and made it his dwelling place. Um, That was the day that the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit wrote their name over my life and adopted me into God's family. That was the day I was saved. Um, You see, it's an objective thing. It's a day when when God did something to me, as opposed to the day when I made some promise or declaration to God. Um, Because then what happens, and this is what we've been talking about a lot, right? What happens then when you waver in your faith? If the start of your Christian life began at the moment that you made some decision or you prayed some prayer or you made some promise to God, when I start struggling in my faith, then what do I do? I have to go back to that moment and say, well, did I really mean it? Was I really being honest or was I just kind of caught up in the moment? So here's kind of the comfort of tying into your baptism is saying the day I was saved is the moment that I was baptized. And it has not. And people would say, well, you were just a baby. So how would you know? Exactly. I literally did nothing, had nothing to offer God, could make no confession of faith, made no promises to God. I'm basing it purely entirely on the fact that God made a promise to me. In that promise, he called me out of darkness into his wonderful light, and I've been his ever since. Um, and so it's, a, it's tied to an objective truth outside of myself. It's tied to a promise that
0: God made to me, and my God does not lie. I lie all the time. I lie to God all the time. Um, So it it would make no
1: sense for me to say, "Well, God, I'm going to be yours. I promise you. And as long as I keep my promise to you, our relationship is good." No, that's that's no good. Um, But when it's it's based on the objective promise that God made to me in Christ, applied to me. Poured over me in
0: baptism. I can walk away from it. I can reject it, but it isn't going to be because God failed me. It
1: isn't going to be because um something didn't work for me that God did. um and we'll we'll get to that later on in this lesson. so, yeah,
2: believe you know we can in the Bible, we keep hearing believe, 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 but Expound on that
1: a little bit again. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it, it, it's it's again. It's sort of like um, when you know my my kid is standing on the edge of the pool, and, and I and I and I tell my kid jump. Trust me, right? Um, if I say that to some random kid at the pool, they ought to run away, right? But when I say it to my own kids, now in their minds, it's this is my dad. It is literally his job to make sure that nothing bad happens to me. Um, if I jump, he's given me plenty of reasons to trust him, that he will catch me. And they jump. And and so when you just say believe, when you say trust, you can't do that. You can't, how, you know, give me an example of believe, believe right now. No, it it has to be something that I inspire in you. And so When the Bible has this this command, and I think that's the challenge is we see this imperative believe, and so our our, our human brains say, okay, if a command is given to me, then I have to do it. And so it's like, okay, carry that out then for the rest of the commands in the Bible. Be holy. As I, the Lord, your God, am holy. How are you doing on that, right? Because God gives a command, it doesn't mean that it's something God then just waits around for us to fulfill. This is the gospel, is that... God fulfills even the commands he gives. He calls me to be holy. And then what does he do? He sanctifies me through the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes me holy. He says, believe. And then he inspires in me. He gifts in me. He he, he, he fills up in me faith, belief. um, and, and so, well, when did you become a believer? I don't know. I just always have. And 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 so I, I trust in God. Why? Well, because he's given me so many reasons to. I, I can't not trust him. Um, you know, so I, I use the example with catechism kids because they're a little easier. Um, you know, I, I tell them to turn around. We do the trust fall drill, right? So I say, I say, do you trust me? And they say, yeah, Pastor. I trust. But every single one of them, when they fall back, they put their foot back. I say, you don't trust me, right? Um, you can kind of exemplify that right in in that exercise um but how do you just fall back into god's waiting arms right you, you can't do that with your life right so it's the 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 word of god has the power to create the very thing it commands and so so we yes we hear jesus we hear the apostle say believe but they don't just wait around then and go, okay, I'm waiting for, to see you start believing. No, they know that this is already being done in you, right? That this is God's doing that the, the, the gospel message, the work of the Holy spirit is
0: accomplishing in you the very thing it's commanded. Right. Um, yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that what we, okay. I want to make sure I'm, I'm not saying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistent with what I said.
1: So good. Okay. All right. Um, let's go then on to, I do have those passages in there. Good. What is faith? Um, the bottom of page 49, there's, there's four points that I kind of want to, to think about here. Um, a couple things when it comes to answering what faith is, the first one there is John 17 verse 3. Jesus prays this um, on the uh, Monday Thursday night, the night that he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. Jesus prays to God the Father. He says, "This is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Um, faith is is knowledge to a degree, right? It is it is knowing who the true God is. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in our next lesson when we get into the difference between the natural knowledge of God and the revealed knowledge of God. Um, God as he is known naturally through through nature, through our surroundings, um, and then how God reveals himself to us in his word. Secondly, um we see that faith is 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul praised this God continually because when you the Thessalonian Christians when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe okay so there is this um acknowledgment or acceptance not of Jesus as Lord, not of, you know, um, Jesus as my Savior, but there is this, yeah, um, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. I accept this as the, 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 the truth of God's word, right? And again, look at, look at the, the, how did this happen? The word of God, which is at work in you who believe, right? So this all still is, again, God's doing, God's working behind the scenes, underneath the surface. Probably the the what we would consider the the Bible's definition of faith, um, Hebrews chapter eleven verse one: faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is just sort of unfathomable, right?
2: Could be assurance, I guess.
1: Absolutely, yeah, um, and I think even other translations have it that way, right? Um, um, faith is is being sure of what we hope for. And the assurance of things unseen, or things not seen. I know there's other other translations that sort of uh, translate it that way. Um, and and so again, here I, I think it's um, this this is uh, something for us to remember um, as Christians. Um, I think so often people think that. There's just sort of use the example of like science and religion. And people would say, well, science is based on fact, science is based on evidence. And religion is just dumb, blind faith, baseless, right? Um, and I would say, no, that's a terrible um kind of um, you know, uh differentiation between the two. Um as we've seen throughout the history of science, number one, um, science is oftentimes wrong; <laughs> it's constantly changing as knowledge and understanding grows. Um, but the Christian faith is unchanged for two thousand years, um, and I would say that isn't just because we we've all locked arms and um, you know been so resolute in our in our blind dumb faith. Um, no, I would say it's because the Christian faith is rooted in history. It's rooted in fact. Uh, The Apostle Paul says as much. Um, We look at this in our last lesson in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If if Christ has not been been raised, our preaching is useless, right? He ties it not to some, you know, you just got to kind of trust us, Right? He's basing it on a historical fact. Did the man Jesus Christ of Nazareth actually die and then rise from that death? That's a historical event, right? You think of how many religions in the world are not based on anything in history. Um I would say this is probably the true true for most eastern religions. Whether a guy named Buddha actually uh, lived, whether he actually spoke the words that are the bedrock for Buddhism, doesn't matter, right? You don't have to be convinced that Buddha was an actual guy. It's just, do you believe in these teachings or not? Right? Um, but Christianity is rooted in history. Um, it's rooted in archeology. span It's rooted in, um, yeah, these things actually happened. Um, And so you, you can, you cannot believe them, um,
0: but you're going to have to disprove them from history. Right. Um, So I I, I don't, I, I, sometimes I really get
1: not, not, not frustrated, but I think we miss out on something when, when people talk about, even Christians, I think we do this when, when we, we sort of cheapen the Christian faith. When, when we say something like, well, you know, um, I just have to believe it's true. It's like, you know, um, I just have to have faith and it's like, I get what you mean. And to a degree, you're right. Um, but, but let's not give credence to this downplaying of the Christian faith as though it's just this blind, lacking evidence, you know, kind of movement. Um, no, right. Um, it is the absolute certainty, yes, in a God who is unseen, and it is the the absolute assurance um, in a life that is to come that you and I have yet to experience. I
0: get that, but the foundation of it is was very visible. Um, these things are rooted in history,
1: right? Um, and so I think we can have. We can use things like history and archaeology and science and all of these kinds of things, um, not as a replacement for our faith, um, but as um, um, as a, as a counterpart, as a, as an encouragement, as an addendum to our faith. That all of these things
0: here, um, we we are we are living and rooted in um, history, right? So, okay.
1: So trusting in God right and in his promises. finally then I love this uh, John 6 verse 29. Um, what is faith? It is the work of God, right the The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. Faith is is God's work, right um, How do I know God? How do I accept the Bible as God's word? How do I trust in God? This is God's work in you
0: that the spirit accomplishes through the message of the gospel. Um, So uh, that is kind of our three, four part definition of faith. Um, Any thoughts or questions on that? All right. um, Turn the top of the next page, page 50.
1: what is and isn't our faith in? This is vitally important because I think um, for some reason, we, we want to turn faith. We always talk about faith as sort of my faith, our faith. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the onus of faith, again, we, we want to, we try to, even if it's unintentional, we try Excuse me, we try to turn faith into our work, right? Um, and and what I want you to understand and recognize that the emphasis and the onus of faith is not so much on your believing, your doing as much as it is in the
0: object of your faith. That's what makes or breaks faith, right? Um, so if if my kid,
1: jumps, when I'm standing there in the pool, and I don't catch him, it isn't going to be because his faith failed him in that moment, right? Um, It's because the object of his faith failed him in that moment, right? Um, He had had all the faith in the world. Uh, My youngest son, I don't need to tell him to trust me, that kid, from the moment he put on his floaties, he goes sprinting off the edge and dives into the pool. He's got more faith than I'll ever have. Um, but if I'm not there to catch him, right, then all of that faith does him no good, right? So, I, you know, the example I'm, I, I always kind of use is, uh, you know, we had the 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 Mega Millions, the lot billion dollars, couple couple weeks ago. Um, and you talk to people who were just convinced they were going to win there there was not a lick of doubt in their mind they were so absolutely certain they had all the faith in the world they were going to win what good did it do them the strength the size the amount of your faith does you absolutely no good when the object of your faith is garbage but when the object of your faith is real and firm and solid when the object of your faith is the resurrected living Lord Jesus Christ. Then this is why the Bible can say something like, um, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. It's not because of my faith, it's because of the object. It's because of the, the, the thing in which my faith is put. So even more important than talking about faith as this inanimate object, we need to know that the summoned substance of faith is the importance of the object in which it's put so we need to know and understand what is and what is not my faith in okay so the first one here ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 9 says it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast so the object of my faith is not in my works right um if i were to ask someone how do you know that you're going to heaven if the answer is well because i've lived a pretty good life um because i've done enough good things because i think um of all the people in the world i'm probably in kind of the hopefully you know the upper echelon of good people the object of your faith in that answer is your good works and Ephesians 2 here says, no, that is not the object of your faith, not by works. That is not the confidence in which you should put
0: your faith. Okay, hopefully that's an easy one. That's, that's one that we all get. I think the next one is, is a little more difficult. Again, this is the passage um, uh, that I referenced earlier, First
1: Corinthians chapter 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit.
0: And Paul writes this to answer the question, what comes first, the Holy Spirit or faith? And here Paul says, the answer is the Holy Spirit. You cannot
1: confess your faith without the Holy Spirit living within you. No one can say, I'm a Christian. No one can say, I believe in Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be reigning and ruling and dwelling in your heart for your mouth to even be able to say that.
0: I guess you can say it as a lie, but he's talking here about genuine faith, right? Um, And so, again, we're not talking about here. um,
1: This is a weird way to think about it. But I think even some Christians, they, they, they don't in, intend this. They don't mean this. But in their minds, they have it screwed up. If, and, 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 I, and I ask this to people every now and then just to make sure we're all
0: on the same page. Um, again, how do you know that you're going to end up in heaven? And they say, well, because I believe. Be careful with that. Because the object of your faith in that
1: answer is your faith. And it's a weird way when you break it down. What you're essentially saying is, the object of my faith is my faith. I have faith in my faith. And, 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 and that's an easy thing to say when you're having what I call a good faith day. When you have no doubts, when you have no struggles, when you have no worries, but when life and Christian life specifically get hard when the crosses in your life that the Lord places on you are heavy, when the thorn in your
0: flesh pierces deeper and deeper, my faith wavers. Today is is a, is a
1: not a good faith day, not a, a strong faith day. It's one of those days where I say, Lord Jesus, at the very best, I'm one of those smoldering wicks, I'm one of
0: those bruised reeds, and I don't know how much longer I can keep burning. And if your faith is in your faith, um, then despair
1: is right around the corner. Um, and I'll never forget a story uh, that one of my my uh, seminary professors told in his earlier days in the ministry. He said I went and visited a man who was on his deathbed, and uh, this man was as strong of a Christian as I had ever met in my life. And there, in the final moments of his life. He looked at me and he said, pastor,
0: I'm terrified because I don't know if my faith is strong enough to save me. <laughs> and he looked at the man and with all of the love and compassion in his heart. And you got to know the guy who said this. He said, Bill, to hell with your faith. Look at Jesus. Right. That was a man in
1: that moment in, in that was a bad faith day. And that was a moment when he said, I don't know that my faith in my faith is really doing it for me. And the pastor said, good, then get rid of it. Because the object of your faith is not your faith. It's Jesus Christ, right? Um, And so we don't talk about um, faith this way. How do you know you're going to be in heaven? Because I believe. No, um, it, it sounds like a good Christian answer because it sounds like it's the opposite of the first answer because i'm not saying i have faith in my good works i'm saying i'm i'm purely saved by faith and that's true but faith is not the cause of your salvation I, you, you you'll notice this and, and you can kind of only see this in greek but you can see it in english too you'll never see a phrase in the new testament that says i'm saved because i believe what is the word That always precedes believe or faith.
0: It's not the word because. It is the word through. through. Look back at Ephesians 2. I am saved by. I am saved because of
1: grace. It is the grace of God that is the cause of my salvation. And this salvation is mine through faith. Faith is the means through which this grace becomes my own, right? Um, and so that takes us to the last one, right? Um, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, one and only son that whoever believes in him, not in good works, not in my faith, but whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Um, Romans chapter 5. I love that. Therefore, since we have been justified, there it is, not because of faith, we're justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It all comes back to Jesus. Um, How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you're going to heaven? Because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose for me. That's the answer. That is the ironclad answer. Um, Faith in Jesus Christ. That is who our faith is in. That is why faith, whether it's weak or strong,
0: is powerful enough to save. Because the object of faith is strong enough to say. Okay. Um, So one of the other analogies that I like to use in this
1: scenario is, and most of you will not get this because you've lived your whole life in this tropical paradise known as California. But growing up in the Midwest where it actually gets cold and water freezes over, um, it was always interesting to see the first um, freeze of the year, right? And in the Midwest, um there are these insane people who once the lake freezes, go out on the lake, drill a hole in it and start fishing. These are the most insane people you ever meet in your life. I did it once, and I'll never do it again. Um and yet, what's interesting to me is you see all different kinds of faith in that ice on that first freeze. You'll see parents walking out on the ice very slowly, not going any more than three or four feet out onto the ice with their kids. You'll you'll see kids army crawling out on it very slowly and patiently. And then you'll see these guys whose faith will put you to shame when they drive their three-ton pickup truck out onto the middle of the ice, put a shanty in the middle of it, and build a fire on top of it. And
0: there they'll stay for the next week. Now, it doesn't matter whether you have army crawl, weak faith, or you have mountain
1: moving, three-ton pickup truck, ice shanty with a fire built on
0: top of it, faith. Guess what? Who falls through the ice? None of them. Why? Not because of their faith
1: but because of the thickness of the ice was strong enough to keep them above. And that's the picture. There are going to be days in your life when you and I are the army crawling through this Christian faith where we're, where we're thinking, Lord, every single step
0: I could fall through. And then there are those who, who drive through life with gas guzzling confidence um,
1: and the difference between them on the day of judgment will be nothing.
0: Because it was the Lord Jesus Christ who kept them from falling through. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Um, so if you look back to Hebrews 11, they should be the shirt will be
2: looking for that
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. I mean, yeah, you you think that, are you you guys
1: hearing her okay? Mitzi, did you hear that? Um, Mitzi said, so going back to Hebrews 11 verse 1, um, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. She said, that's Jesus, right? And the answer to that is yes, um, because Think back to uh, uh, John chapter 20. We looked at this back in our lesson on the exaltation of Jesus. What does Jesus say to Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. And there it is, right? To be sure of what you hope for and certain of what you have not seen, um, Jesus says blessed. Blessed with faith
0: that that's what you are that's who he's talking about he's talking about you and me right for sure all right one last section in this lesson so yeah i don't know if you did it or not but you can put an x
1: through those first two arrows on page 50 um you can draw the little flames on them too if you want like i did in the powerpoint but put a big circle around that third one right um the last section then is sort of what we began the lesson with, um, the, the, the analogy of um, it's my birthday, my friend sends me a package, who gets the credit that my friend sent me a birthday present? Well, my friend does, right? He bought it, he mailed it, right? He shipped it, he paid for the postage. It's it's all thanks and praise be to my, my friend who sent me the birthday present. I get the present, I write return to sender on it, I send it back to him, now whose fault is it that I don't have a birthday present? It's mine, right? This is how the Bible really answers these two questions, um, sort of why are some saved and not others? Who gets the credit um, and who receives the blame? Um, Ezekiel chapter 33 says this way, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, i take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live turn turn from your evil ways why will you die o house of israel okay um so so here the lord is talking to his old testament people who were rebelling against him who were rejecting him and the lord is sitting there saying why why are you running away from me why are you turning your back on me why are you rejecting me right um The Lord does not want to see people go to hell. The Lord does not desire anyone to die
0: apart from faith in Christ. Um, And yet, what do we see here? Sadly, there are people who do, who will. Another
1: passage. um, We see this great comfort, 1 Timothy chapter 2. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, he wants all people saved. This is God's desire. Um, this is is God's will, right? The, the will of God is the message of the gospel. God so loved the world. God wants all people saved, right? There's there's no against that. There's no denying that. Um, and and I'll tell you why in just a second. Um, why I want to make that so clear. Lastly, then uh, Matthew chapter twenty three. Uh, this is Jesus as he's approaching Jerusalem. Uh, to begin his, his passion. And he looks out over the city and he says, This, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Right? Um, you rejected me. Um, you, you think of how stubborn the people were throughout Jesus' ministry. Right. Um, That Jesus, the patience, Um, even before Jesus came, Jesus, Jesus recounts the whole history of of God's people. God sent Israel, Jerusalem specifically. He sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. And what did they do? Um, Starting with Moses, they hated them. They rejected them. They stoned them. They killed them. Um, And why does God continue to send prophets? Um, Because he loves them because he wants them saved, um, And so here's the, the parable that Jesus tells, right? Um, of the rich uh, landowner who sends his servants, he, he rents out a portion of his land and he sends servant after servant to go and collect the rent. What do they do? They beat up the servant, they kick him out of town. And what does the, the, the landowner say? Well, they haven't, they haven't listened to and they haven't respected any of my servants. Perhaps they will respect my son. And and you look at that story and you say, what a foolish father. Who would send their son into such peril? Well, God the Father would. Why? Not because he's foolish, but because he's just that gracious. Because he's just that loving. That he wants people saved so deeply, so passionately, that he's willing even to give up the life of his own son to accomplish that salvation. There is no denying that God desires the salvation of every last single soul. Um, This sort of goes back into um, when we talked about earlier in this lesson, um, the, the objective justification. You can go up to any single person you will ever meet in this life and say, God so loves you that he gave up his only
0: son for you. God loves you that much, right? Here's why that's important, Um, because there are
1: Christians who answer these questions only half correctly. Um, Why are some saved and not others? Um, The answer here to these questions is we need to understand that there are two different questions that the Bible gives two different answers to. But there are Christians who want to answer those like they're one question with one answer. Um, and so who gets the credit? Whose fault is it? Um, the Bible says if someone is saved, who gets all of the credit? If my friend sends me the package, who gets all of the credit? Not me, not the one who received the gift, not the one who gets to open and enjoy the present. Um, I don't pat myself on the back because I had a birthday. I write a thank you card to the friend who did all the work in giving me the gift. God gets all of the credit when a, a person is saved, right? Um, reformed Christians agree with that. They say, absolutely, um, um, to God be the glory, right? Um, Soli Deo Gloria, right? One of those Latin phrases, to, to God alone be the glory. If a person is saved, um, it is it is all all, all God's doing. Arminianism is sort of a catch-all word for um, a bunch of of different kinds of Christians, whether you you refer to non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, um, maybe even to a degree Pentecostal. um, None of them would say as much um, that I get the credit for my salvation. But again, how do you answer that question? Why are you saved? When were you saved? the answer still comes back to me. Um, I was saved on the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, I'm going to heaven because I chose Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Um, It's the answer to the question, um, how do you know you're saved? When were you saved, right? Um, And so even if it's a part of, right, right? Roman Catholicism would fit in this too for a different reason, right? How do I know I'm saved? Well, it ultimately, I don't know. I have to do so much. When I've done enough, right? It still comes back to, um, to, to, to the individual. And it doesn't matter if it's 1% or 50%. How much of my salvation is reliant upon me, on my decision, on my free will, on my good works, on my good life, whatever that percentage is, Um, that's still the answer to this question. If God does not get all of the credit, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, then then my salvation still rests in my sinful, broken hands, right? Flip side of that, okay, well then whose fault is it when someone isn't saved? Um, The Bible, again, in those passages that we just read, you were not willing Jesus says, um, why will you die, O house of Israel, right? Um, The Bible makes it very clear that if someone is not saved, it is not because God didn't do enough to save them. It is not because God did not have the desire to save them. Um, It is because um, we do have, and the Bible speaks this way, we do have this power to reject, to resist the Holy Spirit. Um, to, to, to rebel against God, so to speak. And so this is why we talked about, you know, people who've walked away from their faith, people who've fallen from faith, um, um, that the fault will not be on, on God, didn't do enough to save me. Reformed Christianity, um, most of them, I would say anyway, have then this view, kind of the flip side of, okay, well then why are some people not saved? Their answer will be because God did not want them saved. Um, God chose some to be saved and some to be damned, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and it's like, yeah, but go back to these passages again. What God wants all people, not just the elect. God wants all people to be saved. God so loved the world, not just the believers. Um, so, so here it is. Um, Uh, The Reformed Christian would say, um, if a person is not saved, it is because God did not want them saved. Um, And and so, again, you've got two questions that they want to give the same answer to. On the flip side, here the Arminians have the answer right, right? So the Reformed Christians have the first answer right. Who gets the credit? They say God. Yes, that's Right. The flip answer is, uh, we would say that that the the Armenian, the non-denominational. Why is someone not saved? They would say, well, um, because the the person rejected Christ, um, because they um, they 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 were not believers, they did not have faith, um, and so I, I just bring this up because I think I want us to understand that this is a common question that people ask, and as tempting as it is to give one answer to those two questions. Why are some saved and not others? The Bible treats them as two very different questions that have two very different answers. Um, and, we, and we need to understand and treat them accordingly. Okay? It's, it's easier to just provide one answer to both of them. Um, but in doing so, we say something that the Bible does not say in one or the
0: other. Okay? Yeah, let's see. I
2: would
0: say gotta stop. Yep. And, uh, yep. Mental. Absolutely. Yep. And um but I would say, um, and,
1: I, and we've talked about this a little bit. um, If 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 you were to, and you can do this. um I think if you were to go through every single kind of branch of Christianity, you you could pick out what is the trait of God, the characteristic of God that is kind of most highly held, right? And and I think for, yeah, you're right. You hit the nail on the head um, with Calvinism, with Reformed Christianity. It is the sovereignty of God. He is all powerful. And therefore, all of our doctrine, all of our theology has to fit within that prism. And therefore, if you look at it and say, well, we know not everyone's going to heaven. True. Very biblical. Right? Then how do you explain that if God is all-powerful? Well, the only logical answer then must be, well, because God didn't want them saved. Um, For Roman Catholics, I I would say probably, this is just a guess, but I would say, what is the most probably common or most highly held trait or characteristic of God? I think it would be that God is just, that God's justice will be served. And I think part of that's what terrified Luther. Um, and, and, And not that that's a bad trait for God to have, he says as much that he is just. Not that it is bad to say that God is sovereign, he says as much, right? I think as Lutherans, we would say, um, what is the trait or characteristic that we hold most highly when it comes to God? It is that God is gracious.
0: Um, and, And it is in that, that we see what? The salvation of lost
1: souls, the salvation of sinners. But it does not mean, it does not then run up contrary to the fact that apart from faith, there is no salvation. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no salvation.
0: Um, and so we see in the passages, I've just shared a couple of them with you here, that we do see, and, and I recognize
1: that, you know, it sounds it sounds like it can't be both. The Bible says it's not up to you to make a decision to choose Jesus, that faith is not your work. At the same time, the Bible seems to imply that I do have the power. I can make the decision to reject Jesus. If I have the decision, and this is again where, where Arminianism says, if, if I have the ability to reject Jesus, and, and, and it seems like the Bible says that, and I would agree with that, well, then the opposite must be true.
0: That I must have to accept him in order to be saved. Um, and what I'm saying is, I understand the logic in that. But the Bible says one, it doesn't say the other.
1: And so here again is where, you know, um, you know, Luther would would say to, to, to the Calvinist, he would say logic and reason is one of the greatest, most beautiful gifts that God gives to human beings. It's part of what makes us in the image of God, that we have logic, that we have reason, that we can deduce things, Right. Um, that is a gift, and we ought to use it. But when my logic and my reason run up against the word of God, then my logic and reason must become the servant, and the word of God must
0: remain king. And And Reformed Christians do this when it comes to the Trinity, for example, right? They
1: understand that we can't logically make sense of this, although I, there are Christians who try. And these are the bad Trinity analogies that we used earlier on back in lesson two. God is like an egg. God is like the sun. God is like, uh, you know, water, all of those kinds of things. That's, that's a, those are attempts to logically understand and explain the Trinity. Um, but when it comes to this, yeah, right. Um, it just can't be checked at the door for some Christians. Um, and, and I would say one way or the other here's, here's why this is so sad is because if you hold to one of those two answers in the right hand columns, if you hold to those answers, if you're a reformed, you, you make God sound ungracious. There are people he does not want to save. He's only gracious for some. And if you are, 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 are um, Arminian It makes it sound as if Jesus' work is incomplete. It's not enough on account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for you to be saved. He's done 99%. And I I reference the Billy Graham quote a lot, right? Um, You know, Billy Graham would say, You know, Jesus has done 99% to save you. All you got to do
0: is that last 1%. It's so small, it's so easy, it's so simple. All you gotta do is believe. I, I get it. But what you just told me is that Jesus Christ is not enough to
1: save, right? So either one of those, you you're robbing God of glory that belongs to him. The glory in his grace, the glory in his completed work. And what I'm telling you is, We keep that, we give God all glory in answering each of those questions the way that scripture does. And we treat them as two very different questions with two very different answers. And logic and reason is gonna wanna try and smash them together and we just have to let them stand apart. I get it, it's not a pretty bow on the top and it frustrates me too. Um,
0: And sometimes you just have to let God be God and let the word alone speak um all right um that is the end uh the answer or the 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 conclusion there from
1: luther's catechism i'll let you read that here's the summary um middle of page 51 jesus died for the sins of the whole world he earned forgiveness for everyone object of justification that's the truth sad to say but many do not desire or accept his forgiveness They, they don't they don't believe it's for them Thus, they deprive themselves of the salvation that Christ has won for them. Only those who believe in Jesus as their Savior will finally enjoy eternal life in heaven. But even this faith is not our doing. God, the Holy Spirit, creates faith in our hearts um, through the message of the gospel. Through the gospel, he gives us faith to believe what God teaches, especially that Jesus is our Savior and Lord and that through Jesus' gracious work, we have forgiveness of sins and a sure hope of a future with our Lord forever in heaven.
0: Okay. End of lesson seven. Hopefully, yeah. Good, yeah. Peter just said, "Sure, is comforting." Um, happy to hear. it. So that's the point.
2: Years ago, I said
0: that.